Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So couldn't nobody come up to him and remind him about his past and tell him he wasn't good enough to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what had happened in the past. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. I've learned that a lot of people really don't like change and when they see you going to a new level when they see you getting better and better about something when they see you got some things that's when you need to understand that they are not there for you for your entire life they are only going to be there for a season and those going to have to be some of the things that you forget in the past God is going to move you into some new levels and when he moves you into those new levels everybody around you from the beginning won't be there to the end turn with me if you will to Philippians the third chapter starting with the fourth verse Uh, Philippians 3 starting with the fourth verse and when you have it all those that are physically able to ask you to please stand Philippians 3, I'm reading from the New King James Version, Uh, hear ye the word of the Lord. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, By faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain, may may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which is Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. For uh, the moments that I'll get to share with you in this word, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Janice and Jesus. Janice and Jesus, J-A-N-U-S and Jesus. I've been studying the art of debate lately because I find myself in a lot of different debates. And one thing that I've learned is that a lot of things people say to bolster their point about a debate is actually a fallacy, something that's incorrect. They use a incorrect thinking in order to make their point. Uh, I learn about a lot of fallacies. Uh, I learn about exegetical fallacies where somebody puts something in the Bible that wasn't actually there. They take something out of the Bible that wasn't actually there. And in these debate uh, fallacies, I learned about the slippery slope fallacy. Uh, you know, if someone says, well, if you do this, then that's going to happen and that's going to happen. And they don't actually all deal with each other. But one fallacy I've been dealing with a lot in my conversations and, and whatnot is post hoc ergo propter hoc. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. It's Latin and it means after this, therefore because of this. It's a logical fallacy because people think that because A happened before B, that A caused B. Uh, well, somebody moves into a new apartment and the water heater goes out. They tell the landlord that the water heater went out. Landlord says, you must have broke it. It was working before you got there thinking that the person that brought it first or because something happened first that it, 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 it caused it. Just because something, one thing is older than the other or something happens before the other does not mean that what happened before caused it. The water heater could have been broke a long time and that's just the first time somebody tried to use some hot water to find out it was broke. I, I deal with that a lot because there are those who are Google Bible scholars, and if they find some document that they think is older than 1611, they believe that that document is more credible than the Bible, even though the book may have been written that they're referencing. Uh, they may be comparing it to something that was in Mark, the gospel according to Mark, and Mark was written in 40 A.D., and they got something from 300 A.D., but they like to use 1611 because that's when King James brought the Bible, uh, brought the 66 books we call the Bible together as a canon. But I'm always looking at people that, say, that provide this post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy because this came first, so obviously this is the way it should be. It, it happens as well in another line of thinking. Not necessarily in a debate, but just in how people get things done. We've always done it this way. And because we've always done it this way, this is the way we should continue to do it. 
Amen. So the first few days and even the weeks of January are sort of shocking. Uh, most of us can't believe another year has flown by. Tempest, fugit, time flies. In some ways, January is an exciting month because it's a, a transitional month. It's a month of beginnings. In fact, uh, uh, the name of this month comes from the names of the concepts of beginnings and doorways and openings and gateways and transitions. The name January comes from the Roman god Janus. Although not everybody agrees that the month was so named because of this, its aptness is the first month of the year. Janus is a Roman pagan god that is depicted of having two faces. One looking to the past and another looking to the future. And they have coins that have it on there where it's a, a coin where you got two co the coin with the two faces facing the opposite way. And I thought about that, and, and that was brought up in the research when we were looking at this Philippians text, forgetting that which is behind us, but pressing towards what is in front of us. Uh, for us... Uh, September, October, November, and December are months 9, 10, 11, and 12. But for the Romans, these months were actually 7, 8, 9, and 10. September comes from septum, 7, October, octo, 8, November, novum, 9, and December, decem, 10, and in eight, or 1582, Pope Gregory adjusted the calendar so that January became the first month of the year. And in 1752, the British colonies adopted the same calendar, which we call the Gregorian calendar. So it's January, a month that invokes the mention of this Roman god Janus of beginnings, opportunities, and transitions. And that's why uh, when we look at January at the beginning of the year, everybody's got big plans. New year, new me. Amen. <laughs> going to be doing all of these things. We're going to be setting all of these goals. And while some of us are going forward setting all of these goals, some of us are just happy to be out of the last year. We can't look forward because all we're thinking about is all the trials and tribulations that we've gone through for the last year and wondering what now. But the question for us as we enter the year 2019 is whether we look forward with the eyes of faith or backward with the eyes or toward what was, uh, the Bible can help us with that with Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, the people of God were continually asked to look back at the miraculous things God has done for them, most notably the Passover, uh, uh, delivering, uh, deliverance from uh, uh, the, the, the centuries of slavery in Egypt. And, and that became, Passover became one of the most important histories, the most important observance uh, of the, their faith and remains so today, looking back and remembering. It's not always a bad thing to look back. 
Uh, Psalm 103 verse 2 tells us to forget not all his benefits. Uh, when Israel crossed the Jordan uh, into Canaan, Joshua asked representatives from all the 12 tribes to select a stone from the river. And they carried these to Gilgal and they set all these stones up. And they said, and he said that when your children ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you should let the children know that Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry land so that all the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord and God is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Samuel uh, talks about it. Uh, The last judge of Israel, he took a stone after Israel scored a, a, a win over the Philistines and he named it Ebenezer. And said, hitherto the Lord has helped us in 1 Samuel 7 and 12. And looking back and remembering, looking backwards, setting up a few stones, uh, something to remind you of the goodness of God and counting your blessings sometimes is a good thing. But looking back can also be dangerous and destructive. Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Uh, there's another myth about Orpheus and Eurydice uh, where he, he looked back at his wife following him and lost her forever. Brooding about failures and mistakes are not good for our spiritual and mental health. Dwelling too hard on what might have been does not help us get to what might be. Uh, if anybody would have a reason to be held back, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, like he said in the text, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. In terms of zeal, he persecuted the church. You have a man that is credited with over two-thirds of the New Testament, starting off killing those who believed in Jesus. Is the microphone still working? If anybody could have told somebody, you know what, your past, your background is not good enough for you to be up in here trying to tell us about this Jesus person, it should have been Paul. But Paul did not brood on his mistakes. He refused to spend time and uh, dwelling on his mistakes. He was a persecutor of the church. He stood by while Stephen was stoned to death. He used his skills, his position and education to do as much possible harm against the first followers of Christ. And he had a pedigree uh, as a Jewish person that was impressive. But he says he doesn't dwell on that. Matter of fact, he calls it a lo- he calls it a loss and considers what he has with Christ gain. He considers all of that trash that should be. Matter of fact, the text says rubbish. Uh, and and <laughs> at a Bible study, I may go more in depth in it. I won't necessarily go into the pulpit with it in depth, but I'll just say when you see that word rubbish and Paul is using it, there's a more literal English translation from the Greek word he used. You might find that literal English translation of the Greek word he used hanging around in the bottom of stalls at the rodeo uh, of of a bovine nature. When he says rubbish, when he considers it rubbish, that's how much he considers knowing Jesus is better than all of the accolades that he had. 
It does not matter. Only what you do for Christ will last. You can have a bunch of letters behind your name, but what you do for Christ will last. You can be a big shot wherever you are at, but what you do for Christ will last. That is what is important. He took all of that that he had had and threw it away because it didn't count when it compared to Jesus Christ. Uh, and so in this looking, in this whole of uh, forgetting what was behind them and holding on to what was in front of them, there's a cost. Let the church say cost. cost. Paul has given up two things to become this believer, this follower of this the way, what we would later call Christians. He gave up his prestige among the Jews, and he gave up his persecution against the church. He gave up his prestige. Uh, among the Hebrews, the people of God, and his persecution against the church. He delivers a sevenfold description of his own ethnic and religious uh, pedigree, including the traits that he's circumcised. And he's an Israelite by his own genealogy. He's a part of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew by birth. And not only is he a Hebrew by birth, he's a Pharisee. So he has to know something about the law. And the Pharisees were strict about knowing the law. And Paul describes himself as blameless when it comes to righteousness. That, that's real humble. That's, that's real humble. Yeah, you know, I'm blameless. And when it comes to the law, but there was a cost. He had to give up those positions. He had to give up all of those things that he had. He had to give up those things if he was going to follow Christ. There was a cost. When something costs, it, 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 it has a higher place of status in your life. I, I was, it's amazing what can be escalated by cost. I was watching this video that they had posted. It was an article, but the, the, the shoe store Payless had decided that uh, they were going to take these same shoes that they make, put them in a fancy Italian sandwich store, something like Pele or something like that, and start charging $500 for the same $20 shoe that you could get at Payless. And everybody flocked to the store. They did it as an experiment. People flocked to the store. And they, they, they put them on and they were posing for the camera. And everybody was talking about how high end. The cost changed their perception about what was in there. Uh, but there's a cost. But along with the cost, there was a catch. Let the church say catch. Uh, Paul gave up what he thought was important to gain the priceless knowledge of Christ. He points out that he made a transition from Pharisee to what we would call Christian. Despite all the worldly gains he had gotten during his life of righteous, uh, being a righteous Pharisee, Paul considers them to be a loss uh, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And, and Paul was using these words in the Greek that kind of came off as business terms. When he was talking to him, talking about loss and, and value and knowing Jesus Christ. And we, we translated to gain, but he was making business sense. Uh, like, like someone who make a shrewd business decision, uh, uh, like, the, like the businessman that did it in Matthew 13, 45. Paul did these things 
and, and sold all his old possessions to work for a new master. And for this new master, he was willing to regard everything as rubbish. And he used these business terms to the church at Philippians because the Philippians, or the church at Philippi, because the Philippians were Paul's wealthiest community, or at least the community that provided the most financial support to the ministry. Uh, I read chapter 3 in your hearing, but later on in uh, chapter 4, Paul talks about he acknowledges his debt to the Philippians, ensuring them that the ministry that he seeks, the profit that accumulates to their account. Paul knew uh, his commercial relationship was an account of credits and debits. Uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to stop right here. The, the Bible spends a whole lot of time talking about money. Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the Bible. But when the pastors start talking about money, never mind, I'm going to move on. <laughs> uh, uh, the financial, in, in all the financial matters, the community, uh, the Philippian church had become sort of a lord and master. And Paul wants them to understand without a doubt the spiritual value of knowing Jesus Christ as his master far surpasses any earthly gains that he'll make through the transactions or financial transactions that gain a loss in his ministry. Again, what you do for Christ will last. And so they had this cost, and there was a catch. But because of Paul giving up this cost and understanding what was going on, he got a crown. Let the church say crown. Uh, Paul has gained some things from becoming a child of God. First, he got uh, a new righteousness, and then he also got a new goal. Uh, Paul transfer he moves from business metaphors in this part of the passage to plain speech. Uh, you could say that Paul's entire theology is summed up in verses 9 through 11 when he says, And be found in him having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but uh, uh, not having my own righteousness, rather, which is from the law, but having that which is through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness which is God from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed by his to his death if by any means I may obtain the resurrection of the dead uh, yes the righteousness uh, which is from God uh, by faith the righteousness which is from God by faith. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So couldn't nobody come up to him and remind him about his past and tell him he wasn't good enough to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what had happened in the past. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. I've learned that a lot of people really don't like change and when they see you going to a new level when they see you getting better and better about something when they see you got something that's when you need to understand that they are not there for you for your entire life they're only going to be there for a season and those going to have to be some of the things that you forget in the past 
God is going to move you into some new levels. And when he moves you into those new levels, everybody around you from the beginning won't be there to the end. Forgetting those things which passed. Forgetting those things in the past. If you stayed with the same people over and over again, you would get the same things over and over again. And so he says that the the reason he is able to move from this person that persecuted the church to this person that is writing for the church is not by anything he did. It's not by anything any friend could do. It's not by anything any title could do. It's the righteousness that comes from God. God is able to turn somebody that is messed up as all get out into somebody that is on fire for the church. God is able to move you from from glory to glory and faith to faith. Not anybody else. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man what God has in store for you. We just have to forget what's behind us and keep pressing towards God. Ah. The righteousness that formerly came from the law now comes from God by faith. And he only touches on it here, but he talks about it even more in Galatians and Romans. And secondly, he also states that his theology of the cross, he's got to share in the sufferings of Christ. To know Christ, the disciple must become like him in his death. There's going to be some growth. There's going to be some growth, but there's going to be some challenges with that growth. If you want to improve at anything, there's got to be some challenges and some growth. You want to get stronger, you're going to have to spend some time lifting. You're going to have to lift till it hurts sometimes. It's going to hurt to eat that salad instead of that double cheeseburger. It's going to hurt to save that money when Neiman's got a sale going on. It's going to hurt not to participate in the gossip at the job. It's going to hurt. There's some sacrifice that has to be made. But the end goal is greater than the temporary suffering. And Paul says that when he talks about suffering, he's not even talking about those kind of behavioral suffering. Because again, when they were writing these passages... It was not sweet to be what we call a Christian. Saying you were a follower of Jesus usually meant you had to go fight a lion or take a bath in some boiling oil or get put up on a tree and hung with with nails in your hand like your Savior before you. And so he said he willingly would take that on. He'd willingly share in that suffering. And he would willingly take that on for what he'd gained in Jesus Christ. 
And they say that it's a play on the word because he, he is allowing his body to be conformed to or formed with the death of Christ. So that could mean not only an unjust death, uh, even a death on the cross, but it also means to die to those things that are not Christ-like. Right. Die to those things and, and participate in Christ's humble act of self-emptying. And so he got a new goal. And Paul is talking about pressing towards the mark and using Roman metaphors for athletic contests because they had a lot of those going on in Philippi to, so his readers could know uh, not to be discouraged at the prospect of, of a life in Christ. He encourages them to persevere as if they're in a competition and reminds the reader that the Christian life is goal-oriented just like uh, athletic contest, and it is future-directed, just as any successful competitor is. And, and the, the stability of the metaphor gets a little lost because they talk about the calling up or the upward call or the heavenly call in some translations, but this is it, it was literally telling them they're going to be up on a podium, just like they call the, the winners up to be high on the podium to receive the, pri the cri prize or the crown. Of the, uh, the, the prize of eternal life. Amen. And he's reminding uh, the readers, Paul's reminding the readers of the, that their suffering right now is temporary for the sake of Christ. No contest is infinite. It doesn't, no contest goes on forever, neither does human life. And Paul is letting them know that they are turning towards the home stretch. And I like that athletic metaphor and understanding that what's going on is temporary because I'm reminded even though I, I'm not by any means a New England Patriots fan. <laughs> I, I admire Tom Brady's discipline. Why he won't eat certain foods and he's able to do things athletically at 40 that a bunch of people at 20 can't do. But he, pay, he he's disciplined. And I watch how everybody gets excited when they lose games at the beginning of the season. They get excited. This is going to be the year that they go down. This is it. And they still make it far. They still make it to the Super Bowl and lose to my Eagles. Or they, they make it to all these different, they still, or they go to the Super Bowl and win. They, they still do well. And the reason they do well is because their goal is not the same goal as everybody else. You can lose a regular season game and still make the playoffs and win the championship. Just like everybody got, gets excited when they beat the Golden State Warriors. It's real hard to get excited about a, real, a regular season game when you've been to the mountaintop. And I bring up both of those teams to understand that their goal is not, when, they, when you go against those teams, their goal is not the same goal as the team that's playing them. They've got their eyes on something higher. And that's as we as Christians should be. Our eyes should be on something higher. 
the temporary interactions that we go through, the things that we have, our eyes should be on something higher. We ought to be able to push forward towards the goal, forgetting which things are behind us and pressing on to something higher. That's not to say that we should be complacent in our areas where we fall short, but rather we need to look for the power of God to help us live towards him and work on something higher. Run towards the goal or the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. We uh, neither deny nor exalt our contradictions, our past, those things that don't always add up, but we still press forward. We recognize that there's a tension. We recognize that we can look forward to what's going to come and learn from what's behind, but not dwell on it. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things have passed away. So we can recognize that there's a tension between our dreams and our deeds. And count on the grace of God in this, that the contradictions that are of the tensions that are there are what we learn from and put us on the road, road to a greater truth. And as Paul said, not that I have already obtained or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And although we have a tendency to look forward and backward, it is to Jesus that we need to be looking forward. Uh, the author of Hebrews cautions us on the same thing, uh, running, racing and running a metaphor, metaphor as the author, Apostle Paul says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance to the weight that is set before us looking to Jesus. We are six days into 2019. And while we know we have not reached the full goal of, of moving on in perfect, perfection with Christ, we still need to press on. Amen. Living with the tension and knowing that our dreams are out in front of us and our deeds behind us may have slowed us down, but we can still press forward. Amen. We may not be all that we are supposed to be, but thank God we are no longer what we used to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 